This is the Tactical Leader Podcast, where we're on a journey of self-mastery and true leadership. I believe that in order to lead others, you must first be able to lead yourself. And in order to lead yourself, you have to first know yourself. If you want to learn the tactics to get to know yourself, to lead yourself, and to lead others, stay tuned to hear from industry experts as I unpack the tactics that they've used to build their business, build culture, and lead others. All right. If you want to get up and a drink, feel free to do so. And I'm talking, not when he's talking. And we'll just set that up the fakes when we need to. The orders are still out. We're going to go ahead and wrap in there. For those of you who do not know me, I am Casey Sullivan, founder of the company called Trading Hundreds. And I have the great, great privilege today to introduce Meg Knight and the facilitator of my Lewis, Nate Sampson, with Social Pro Video. And I'll get to that in just a second. But folks, I want to uh, show up hands for your veterans in the room here tonight, veterans. Thank you so, so much for your service. I humbly say that as a non-vet that's here to support your community. So the whole goal of Bonner Blues kind of started from the idea of bringing on veterans and veterans together to support each other in small business and other areas of life. So thank you for being here. Thank you for serving our country in the way that you had for those of that you did. And we just really want to really to facilitate great conversations, acknowledge people that we're going to be highlighted and why we made in terms of their doing it. So we have Merrick Knight, who is a UPS guru. That's how you need to know about that. This man is was president of an amazing organization called Vetlana. If you guys are not familiar with that, you should definitely get plugged in. And I got very close to sound. So we're <laughs> realize how close it is. So he is going to talk more about that. And the book that he facilitated kind of throughout that organization is my best understanding, but he'll go much more into that. And then, of course, Mary up here, leading the evening off, social pro video. Legacy through the rings is kind of his thing. He is the Hollywood for small businesses. So if you have something real time showcase, Slate is definitely the guy to do that for you. And if you haven't seen all of his stuff, the nearest thing he dropped out for the threat with a vet. We know it's got humor. It's got so much privacy. You have to see this. What kind of a better word? So a big shout out to Buckhead Club. who is so great to letting us use this space before voting it. Sand over here and down. If you have any questions about Buckhead Club in general, there are the people to go to this evening. There are the not going to sort out because they have Rabs Blend S as well, then grab a card. <laughs> so, we'll tailor Bright Fitness and some other kind of supporter and this. And then, of course, around with Retlana, Ultra Vets, Vance the Line, with Zach Knight, who is usually your host for this, but you have set your rest up, which I'll it today. So, all right, I will hand it on over to Lori, and then we're facilitating Q&A after this, and then up at the end with all other events that you definitely want to attend. All right, thank you guys all for coming out. I'm usually behind the camera, so this is a little bit <laughs> different setting for me, but I know we're going to go through a, a lot of good stuff about Lloyd. You know, I'll give just a few things that I've learned about Lloyd over the last, I guess, about, what, year since I've known you, right? He's a retired Air Force veteran. And if Zach was here, I'm sure he'd rather you a little bit about that. He's more of an army guy. There you go. Hey, so tell you on behalf of Zach, right? So also he's the UPS veteran talent acquisition strategy manager. That's a lot of words and a title, but I imagine that's quite a big responsibility there too. And one of the reasons we're here tonight is he's also the founder of Atlanta. So today... He's going to talk a little bit about his, or mostly about his book that he just published, just released. He's now a published author, right? Called Night's Work, My Unfinished Journey of Vetlana. So if you just want to kind of take us through. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it. Though. Yeah, I think you it's usually have Vetlana. It's weird to have something fully poking from me. Because I'm usually putting the focus on other people. So a lot of people I really care about in the audience. So thank you all for being here. But this book, I never thought I would write a book in a million years. I never thought it would happen. For those of you read the book, you know, my wife in 33 years passed away. And the book wasn't originally intended to be about me. It was going to be solely about Atlanta. And but let's get back to the idea of writing a book. I have some amazing friends, but I've had friends my entire life. I'm 54. that never really needed friends. And I was telling Jason and Sarah earlier, my best friend was by my side for 33 years. So... I didn't always take care of those friendships. And then when she passed, I figured out, wow, I 
totally need friends. I need them. I need my friends for my first time. So I started taking care of my friendships. And then a big part of the book is about my journey to faith, which we can expand on. But I ended up going to breakfast in December for three breakfast meetings. There are three friends who are not connected. They were all believers. And, and all three told me during that meeting that I needed to write a book. The second one was kind of candy. The third one was like, this is a sign from God. Like, this is a sign I need to write a book. So I went right back and I wrote 15 pages. I wrote 15 pages and I gave the 15 pages to the meanest person I know. And that is Kevin Horgan. So some of you probably know Kevin, Grant Marine, been a big part of my veteran journey for about 12 years now. Kevin was just witnessed through a book and I expected to hand those 15 pages over to him at a breakfast meeting and that he was going to like walk at me, you know, like kick me to show him to go back to work. And then, so I gave it to him and then a later, he, he called me and said, this is phenomenal, keep going. And then we met for breakfast a couple of days later, he gave me some advice, he's like, this is about you. Make it about you, make it chronological. And I started writing and I've never been one for journaling, but man, writing was healthy for me. And then I was remembering stuff that I hadn't thought about in decades. I'd spent 20 years in the Air Force and I've been retired and working for UPS for 16 years. So I'm remembering stuff from, from the beginning. And so the book, the journey is really about a series of journeys. It's about meeting Suzanne, about the journey into the Air Force, my Air Force career, my transformation, you know, leaving the military and coming to Atlanta. Then my journey into a veteran support, starting with the running the Veterans Business Resource Group, the first one at UPS, and then the Batwana journey. And then it turns into a journey of mourning and then a journey in the faith. And so I started writing on those out. And this is crazy. I wrote the entire book in three weeks. So we had just those three weeks. So it just fared well. And I ended up finishing the book and spreading Suzanne's ashes like a couple of days later. And, and those two big things were just a huge relief of burden off my chest and kind of a another sign from God is like, okay, now it's, you can continue to go forward. Yeah, that's excellent. I know, you know, just based on what you were going through as you were writing this book and things that you really, as I've seen that you've done with Bad Lantern, pour yourself, have poured yourself into this book, right? I mean, from throughout your journey, right? So let me touch on, on that. So I did, it was easy for me to write. It was entirely a different story in reading it again. So if you, if you read the book, there were some editing, you know, issues with a couple of spots. I, I paid to get editing. And then after you get an editor, you're always supposed to read it again. And I started reading again. It was too hard for me to read because I poured everything out, you know. So I was like, it was rolling with it. Then I ended up getting my editing money back because there were a couple of issues with it. But yeah. So if we never have a general, be kind. That's what I'm so, you know, I can imagine with your experience as a veteran, you know, that, that as you poured in, into it, but Atlanta, you know, I can imagine a lot of that, it, it, you telling your story helps other people going through difficult situations, you know, whether that's transitioning out of the military or also, you know, with the unfortunate circumstances with Suzanne, right? Well, you know, when, in the beginning of the book, I kind of talked about, hey, this is going to be a very diverse book. I'm going to talk about a lot of things. The first couple of chapters are heavy. I mean, it was really heavy, but then part of the our leadership book, there's some humor in, because if, if you guys know me, you know, I like to joke and get around. And Suzanne used to tell me, you're not very funny. And I'm like, I am funny. So, so there's advice on transforming. There's advice on how to find the right nonprofit if you're looking to volunteer. So I kind of tried to make it everything. And then one of the most important things for me is there is the faith component. You know, when I figured out was I have a lot of friends that I didn't know were believers. And by my now wearing my faith on my sleeve, it's to encourage people to, you know, believe openly. Yeah. And I think that highlights an interesting point, you know, particularly of, of, you know, like the veterans that I've met a lot of times having those conversations about faith or experience or what you've been through have been tough conversations. And I can imagine within your book that that would open people a lot up to have that dialogue as part of founding community with Atlanta as well, right? Yeah, I um, talk about when I started with VBR, when I started with UPS, 
I had a phenomenal run. I jumped right into a role. I got hired right as a manager, which EPS wasn't doing much at the time because I promote them within culture. And I got hired as a manager and I killed it. You know, I got promoted three times in my first four years up to the director level. And, you know, things were going mostly well. You know, when Suzanne and I were, you know, making real money for the first time ever. We were not moving all the time. We had bought a house. We had settled down. We started getting involved in things. But something always felt like it was missing. And I couldn't really, like, what's missing? I couldn't figure it out. And then, um, you know, I started going to Women's Leadership Development, WID, we'll call it UPS. My bounce had UPS. Frankly, it was the only development thing going on at the time. And Toastmasters, well, I speak pretty well. So I'm, like, I'm going to go to WID. They're all inclusive. That's some phenomenal guest speakers. And every time I'd come out of one of those events, I would touch my HR person on the nose. Like, we need something for everybody, right? And then, like, five years later, they called me on it. So we want you to start the very first Veterans Business Resource Group. I said no at first. I was finishing my master's degree. I was scrabbling like mad. I, I never made it to Afghanistan in the Air Force, but I went twice with UPS. Yes. And, you know, so I'm, like, busy and. And I had an Air Force active duty captain talk me into doing it. And she says, hey, if you're not going to do it for you, do it for Jordan Kellett, who was a Coast Guardsman at Howard. He wanted to be the co-chair. And so I did it. And then after leading that for two years, that Atlanta came along. And what I figured out was missing was this. It was the engagement with my brothers and sisters. And wow, that was so just like crazy. I was fulfilled. And then when Suzanne passed, my family was there for me, but, you know, they were suffering as well. You know, they hadn't known Suzanne since she was 17. So they were at some comfort when UPS, you know, I met Chris Peck, who's a great friend, and I had another friend, Terry Murray, that was great there for me. But work was okay if I give me time off and space, but there was not these deep connections. And it was Bellana. It was some of the people in this room, you know, having breakfast meetings, let me cry, let me hug, and just getting the emotions out. And people kept asking me, are you going to therapy? Are you going to counselor? I'm like, well, I mean, it is my therapy. You know, and it's been healthy for me. And between that and faith, and believe it or not, yoga, I know it doesn't look like I do a lot of yoga. So yoga and exercise you know, really helped me, especially with that first year. So that's interesting. You know, as much as, as Butt Lena has helped, has helped you, you know, what can someone, I'm not a veteran. I'm an avid veteran supporter. I greatly appreciate everything that veterans have done. I've got family members that are vets as well. What can someone like me, who is just in the community, do to support you, to support Vetlana, to support veterans who may be going through some of these things, you know, and having issues struggling talking about it, frankly? What can we do? You're doing it. So you you showed up. I mean, showing up is half of the battle if you've been around, you know, somebody, you've been around me, you know, one of my favorite sayings is the veteran community is only as strong as their non veteran advocates. And so we need non veteran advocates and just coming out. Like Jason, so he shows up at everything. He's now in the very Set Free, which is a, a nonprofit that I'm strongly believing in. You know, showing up to volunteer, showing up to make new friendships and to help out when you can. I mean, when I first started volunteering, it was just helping veterans with their resumes. Because veteran resumes used to be some of the worst things in the world. And so I was helping people with that. And luckily, there were some great nonprofits that were created. Now I just point my finger at these nonprofits. So showing up, engage where you have expertise. Where's your expertise? Behind. Yeah. So your expertise is out of your visual and you're doing it. You're using some of the expertise, the better the community and the better the lives of veterans and their families. So how can we call on our community? Like what would be the best way to really get them in the mindset that they should be showing up? They need to show up, that veterans need support. You know, they need support among veterans, yes, but also among their community. That Well, the fabulous thing is there's people usually want to help veterans. I mean, our communities are usually there. A lot easier than the veterans who came back from the Vietnam War. And so there's tons of organizations, there's tons of people that are out there supporting veterans. But here's my one caution. We're no longer, the wars are over. We're no longer on the front page. But all that crap from all those wars still exists. So let's see. Don't lose focus. If you're not a veteran and you don't understand, don't lose focus. There's a lot of hurts. There's a lot of healing. 
There's a, a lot of veterans that need support. And then the big thing that lose focus is veterans sick ass. <laughs> I mean, we make things happen. You know, I'm reading veteran talent acquisition strategy for UPS. And so, you know, I like the people ask people why we hire veterans. And, you know, that could be all over the map from charity to national offense and, you know, this and that, because it makes us feel good. Or we hire veterans because it gives us a competitive advantage. So generally veteran employees are come in that they knock it out of the ballpark. That's why we're hiring veterans. So don't lose back that veterans, not as a whole, because veterans that whatever she's you know, largely, you know, we come in and we volunteer at these crazy rates. We get promoted more than the net veteran population. We vote, if you ever look at the voting versus net veterans and non-veterans. So yeah, don't lose the fact of that. We're not charity cases. So being the veteran talent acquisition manager, you know, for UPS, who are the best workers? What branch? Army, right? Army. I've only been, I got to preface this. I've only been on the job five weeks. weeks. So I'm going to say something here that is not going to send anybody. Stokes Force. <laughs> but, you know, that I, I agree, yeah. Uh, one of my uh, sayings is when I was in the um, Air Force, I never needed millions. Millions were given my way. And now that I'm leading this incredible veteran organization of Atlanta, I can tell you, Marines make it happen. Well, they only read, you just give me something to do and stay out of the way. Better make bloody your nose or hurt your feelings. Like, right? But they're going to make it happen. And I've got some really great Marines in my life now. So, Going back to your book, can you can you expand a little bit on just for my own general interest, really, about the information in there that in terms of building a charity or how to pay it forward, how to organize those kind of things? Well, I could tell you the Atlanta story a little bit about the Atlanta story. So, Atlanta about nine and a half years ago, I had a call from David Wadamaker, who's a marine. He was working at Coca Cola, and he was going to this this year long leadership program for the junior officers, where he's spending like two months rotations and doing six of those. And he ended up going work, working for John Phillips. So John Phillips is the co-founder of Atlanta, retired Lieutenant Colonel Army. And he was working in finance and he was running the uh, Coca-Cola Veterans Day events. And that's, people might think, oh, he's only running Veterans Day, but you got to understand that Coca-Cola Veterans Day in the past was a big issue. It was actually a seven-figure budget event when they had presidents and concerts and all kinds of crazy things. So he was working for John and John thought of this just brilliant idea. So John thinks of these ideas, 50% are brilliant. There were 45% of them and we got to get out of here. And, and then I'm the executor and the moment. So anyway, like, no, we're not going to do this thing. This was great. And I would hear about John Hattie. He wanted to get all the Fortune 500 Bentley Business Resource Group leaders in a room to, to talk about what everybody was doing for veterans. And we originally thought Coca-Cola was the only one doing anything. And so we had that first meeting nine and a half years ago. And we probably had 25 people that showed up from about a dozen organizations. The Who's Who in Atlanta, Routa, AT&T, GE, Home Depot, UPS, McKesson, Georgia Tech, just to name some. And we were amazed. Our companies were doing big things nationally, but more importantly, locally for veterans. And I don't exaggerate these numbers. We were hiring hundreds of thousands of veterans a year. Our foundations were contributing tons of millions of dollars to veterans' causes each year. And our veteran employees were hiring volunteers that nobody was talking to each other. And it was amazed. There were all these silos and nobody was talking to each other. That first meeting, I don't think I said 10 words. I was kind of in awe at the people around the room. And for those who know me, they don't believe I didn't say more than 10 words, but literally. And that was such a good meeting. We had another meeting. And that other meeting with Larry Beth Foundations, where it would become Atlanta. And that is honest and open and sometimes brutal dialogue on the good, the bad, and the ugly of the space. So we're blessed. We expect we in our community, we had some great veteran nonprofits and some great individual contributors doing the right thing for the right reasons, for the right people at the right time, getting the right results. And then we have some bad, I put the bad in two categories. The mammoth nonprofits that sometimes get lost in their own cults. 
literally get lost in raising money versus providing service deliverables. And there's some pretty, at least a lot of that really puts that category really well. I won't call them out by name. And then there's bad. We had some great people that really try to start nonprofits for good reasons. And Jerusalem was on a fan. Somebody trying to start one. And what I was saying is like, hey, before you try to start something new, see if there's something existing out there that you can support. But some of us are successful. And a lot of other ones, they just don't have the business sets or leadership abilities ever to be successful with your donor dollars or volunteer house. And sometimes we can try to help their folks. Sometimes they're lost causes, honestly. And then there was the ugly, the ugly round of bots or scammers and scammers out there. And it's disgusting how prevalent they are. And it's even more disgusting than a lot of them are fellow veterans. So what we figured out is, hey, we need to connect this network. We need to become as John Phillips as, uh, you know, or a network on steroids. And in order to advertise the good, to try to help the bad and try to isolate the heck out of the ugly. And we kind of were starting to do calls, these big calls. And we had a lot of, we had 100, 200 people jumping on those calls that found Van Rihanna. And then it, got, it, just, it kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller until there was three of us left on the call. And then they had David Wanamaker, who was getting ready to get hired full time by Coke and getting ready to have his first baby of our load. You need to take the lead. Well, you're the one who can put this together. And, and I had no idea what I was doing. Absolutely none, which is actually a good thing because I didn't know about it. You were you were wrong. So I uh, started having breakfast meetings. Again, if you've been to a valley, you know, somebody you've heard me say this in several times, it's probably no longer funny. I always get around and say, I only weighed 150 pounds with that way I started. Then I eat so many, so much crispy bacon and pancakes. I'm their size now, but we're having pancake beans six o'clock in the morning. Right. I had that same busy day job. And I was meeting with all these people and getting their opinions. I didn't even know it at the time, but there were a lot of those people that were meeting. They were my stakeholders. And, and I was meeting with these stakeholders and I got a lot of opinions from everybody. And then that's something I'm usually pretty good at doing. That's just making decisions. You know, so I, I usually gather with myself. And then I had Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt had him saying, to, and he said, hey, the first best decision you can make is the right decision. The second best is the wrong decision, and the third best is no decision. So I did about that, and we started making decisions, and we went about very differently. We we didn't become a 501c organization. We became a charter club, and in our charter, it basically said, first of all, we opened it up to anybody who wanted to help veterans and their families, and then, this is just like crazy, we charted ourselves never to take any money or give any money. And at the time, I was like, we're going to need money. There was only 25 of us. So we buy a pizza. Somebody of the Kunkel Pride says, not knowing that, hey, you know, nine years later, we're going to have over 8,000 members. But I wanted to focus on collaboration. And the decision I made was we can do everything with in-kind support. So we went about asking companies, hey, give us a venue. At the time, all of summits were hosted in the walls of Fortune 500 companies. Never knew in the very years that we'd be able to do like like we did a couple of weeks ago at the College Football Hall of Fame, never thought we'd do a summit there or at the stadium. We've done two at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. But, hey, just give us a venue. Give us a food because we're meeting like 6 to 9 p.m. And we get hungry. So feed us. And then a, we'll start meeting. And I can tell you that was huge. Those decisions were really in Ricky Bird around where we become. Well, first of all, we got us out of all the our tape. And now that we weren't asking for money, we didn't have to wait in line. And a lot of really to go around a lot of the red tape. And then, well, you know, we've had government employees on our board, which we were allowed to do because we were in one, a 501c organization. And then, if you know me, everybody who knows me, and then I'm like, we'll tell you the honest truth. And then if that hurts or it doesn't, but I'm never going to be swayed by bad things. And so I can tell you a lot of the congressional offices have me on speed dial because they know I'm going to tell them honestly about the good the bad and the ugly, and I'm not going to be influenced by any money because we don't need any money. And that, you know, that is where the journey of that land is. One of the things we have to get comfortable, though, is we did a, a great study with McKinsey, and with Steve Cannon from the Arthur Bright Family Company of Businesses was in it. Chris Peck, he's out in the audience here, was part of it. And then John Teen and then a couple board members. So we did this like eight-month study, and they basically told us, don't change anything. Well, you're right. What you guys are doing is is huge. You're having huge success. 
You just need to fine tune some things. The first thing we had to get comfortable was we're not a service organization. So, because we have these big plans to do all these service type of activities, but we don't have a budget. So we had to get comfortable with that. Which, when you do networking, it's hard to kind of see results. So we have a lot of results. So you've been to the summits. And the summit of pureness that comes out of people gotten jobs on the summits. And we've had testimonials on stage. But our results, you really can't keep track of a, a spreadsheet. And, uh, you know, I came from UPS. And UPS said that you said this model. And God, we trust everything else we measure. And there isn't a whole lot of measurable activity. And, you know, when you look at the companies we came from, Coca-Cola, Delta, they, you know, GE, Humpty, so they measure everything as well. So we had to get very comfortable with realizing they were not going to measure results in the spreadsheet. And guess what? Our stakeholders aren't giving us any money. So really not looking for those kind of hard results. And we've really formed something very special. I can tell you the Atlanta board has met with over 30 cities across the country and basically given them no charter. I've spent hours and hours and hours, probably over 100 hours on phones with these cities. We're groups trying to do the same thing. And nobody's been largely successful in doing it. And I think for multiple reasons. One, they were created within the Fortune 500 companies. So everybody from the outside was trying to get in and that's their growth because people want to be associated with the Fortune 500 companies in this area, especially veterans. So a lot of the other organizations were either trying to form a donor nonprofit and ask for money right off the bat, or they were an existing nonprofit and trying to change their model a little bit. And, uh, and a lot of them have tried, but nothing's been great. Again, the famous crash, the Tigers running something, they just combined two organizations that I had helped out at different times. So I'm hoping that's going to be successful. So if anybody's watching and you want to play book, you know, go to our website, grab the charter, contact me, and I'll be more happy to give you our best practices and pitfalls. So Betlana, this system can be reproduced and likely should be reproduced around around the nation in your estimation, right? Every community is going to be different. So you, you got to use the strengths of your community. It was just kind of like magic where that happened. And so I think our grassroots, certainly grassroots organizations, can be reproductively produced. I'm just not sure that it can't be exactly what we did because there was some magic. You know, I grab sweat and tears into this, but it's not rocket science. I go out and shake hands and kiss babies and relationships and I don't know what the relationships So there's nothing too terribly difficult. That makes sense, makes perfect sense. And so going back to your book, you know, do you care to expand about, you know, Suzanne and her passing and how that affected you and how that really brought you to a point where you were revisiting your questions of faith and things. Yeah, I go a little bit. I mean, it's sterile. So I'm not going to give it to because I will sit up here and cry. So I was blessed because my faith got stronger. So my faith absolutely got stronger. And I'm like, what a blessing because a lot of people lose their faith when something like that happens. I wanted to quit everything when she passed. In fact, I was in my county's leadership program going through as a student. I emailed the next day, hey, I got to pull out of this. You know, my wife passed and I can't do it. And then later that day, I run for a walk up Shawnee Mountain. And then I was like, oh, crap. She would be so mad because I quit at her because of her. Her sickness was very quick. She was already sick for about three days, but she died of a super rare bacterial infection. That she had been sick before, and I, I would try to get a hair. I'm not going to go to this memory in our event tonight. And she's like, you're going to this event. So I came to the realization, like, wow, I can't quit. I went back. Tammy, the program manager, says, okay, I'm back in the class. And I can tell you, Brad has been extremely good to me. So it was hard. I mean, that next class was hard. The next couple were hard. But I stayed with it. I saw very... Invite every class that graduates and invite three people to come back and be facilitators. And I came back and I was a facilitator and I taught a rock and culture. So I read talking about culture. And when I found out a couple of those who ever addressed me to be a board and kind of dug in that. And all that happened because of Suzanne. It was not only that, it was her. And um, she considered and some of the book was at the First Lady of Atlanta. When we started having these summits, you know, the first summits were, were not much bigger than this. 
And then, you know, we were promising a certain amount of crowds. So I used to have my administrative assistant and star, and she's an income to the event. So I get that exam. She had to fill these empty seats. And she came and not to give the book away, but had a lot into it because her perspective was very different from mine. And um, so I, I mentioned where we spent some time in the book talking about her perspective and the value she added. And she never complained about the time I spent on veteran. And I think I spent crazy time to you have. I was best to uh, win the Jim Casey Community Service Award, uh, UPS, which is an importantly highly competitive award. That year, I had 585 volunteer hours just for Bellyana. And that year, I did the Veterans Day month. I did 34 events in 26 days. So it took a huge commitment, and I would have never been able to do that without her support. And then she was kind of a rap hour at times. She was a little bit of shy and said, but you got to know it. And then you got to know you couldn't have asked for a better plan. But she was shy and they were um, So it took her some time to kind of develop the growing of these big summits where she was talking to everybody and people were coming up to her. But I already said this, the smart veterans and advocates would find her. And, 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 and I can tell you, and our summits better to come at sometimes in the networking hour, there would be lines of 10, 20, 30 people waiting to talk to me of all people. You know, she would have fun of line penalties. And they were at, at times... She'd come up and give me a general tap on the shoulder to try to introduce me to somebody she met. And then, you know, sometimes I wouldn't know about it. And then the top sometimes was a shove. And then I, okay, I mean, some of the best relationships I have now are facilitated by her. So her perspective was so important. And that voice continues to drive me today. I mean, another foot forward, another foot forward. Yeah, I love that. I personally love the fact that you're. Use that as a torch, you know, to carry forward, to continue and, you know, the plight and to expand. So on my next question, what is next for Lloyd Knight and or Vetland now, independently or as, as a whole or both or all the above? Wow. You know, there are some big new steps. Well, I'll just start doting again. Clarifying, so, I heard the lyrics of 1986, people. You know, I met Sarah. Sarah's wonderful. So the uh, exercise is a big part of it. So the, uh, the you know, Sarah, she's kind of the health that. So I think I have a lot of rearing to do. So, and then some stuff that I like doing with her kayaking and hiking. I just started a new job with that big job title at UPS. I can tell you, I'm ready to come to work again. So I can just set the strategy to hire veterans. I get to combine my passion in the evening with what I do at work. So Chris knows that. The carrots from bring up for a long time, and I, I finally got her. You know, they're kind of God's plan. Perch is important to me. I was always hesitant. So that land is very political. We keep politics out of it. They're all strong conservatives and strong liberals, but we keep it out of it. And I always kept religion out of it as well. And you know, they are they're a place in Atlanta. And I can tell you, I was wrong. It's got, it's got a, a big place. We don't have to make it sacred points. But one of the things I'm very proud of is we started on Atlanta Veterans and Community Faith. So every quarter now, we do faith-based networking because networking is so important. And so I'm really proud of that. With Zach, we got these battle blues that are going on. We have Atlanta views of the other number of Atlanta views. It's exercise-based networking. So we're working out on Dr. or Hike. And we've always tried to connect people between the summits. And that's been really hard to do, especially since we don't have a lot of money. We have zero money. So we depend on, you know, in-kind support. And I really think our future is this, you know, doing more of those kind of more intimately events in the addition to the summits. One of my causal accidents, our community is still suffering. Our community is still, there's still people locked in their house, refusing to get out, even if their jobs and they can come into work. They come into work, they sit in their cubes, they go home, they're not going to lunchroom, they're not going to run over with New York meetings, they're not going to get on assignments. So my call is to get those people back out. You know, the pandemic is over. It's a hungover. So we need them and they need us. So my call to action is that we need to spend time in facilitating these people to get back. And then one of the things I've had to get comfortable with is we don't need to continue to grow. We need to get back and get, yeah, our assignments need to be the right people in the right room for the right reasons, giving the right results. So maybe that doesn't look like it's 900, maybe it looks like 300, maybe 400 people. So having good quality events, I think people are attracted 
the ballerina to be given because we really ran so well. I was telling earlier that we were put early summits, 35 people on stage, and we would have 300, 300 PowerPoint slides, but we would finish exactly at the minutes. And uh, then it took us a minute, but the figure after that networking was the most important part of it. So we continuously kind of change our summits around a little bit. But I think they're good, high-quality events. And we, we have some great things in store. K3 is going to be back at UPS headquarters. We'll be the first five-time sponsor. K4 is going to be at Emory University. Emory's getting it ready to launch a master's degree specifically for veterans. So the second in the kind in the, in the nation behind the University of Southern California. And on the key round of the next year is going to be our 10-year anniversary. Morgan Stanley is hosting. And I'm trying to put that put together just that summit just to have fun. Come out and maybe have some past speakers we've had. And so there's a lot of great things going on. And personally, I'm gonna I wanna grab more people and push them to Christ. I want to grab more veterans and push them into Atlanta and push them to this network, push them to take care of their friendships. I want to hire a lot of veterans. Even if it's not a UPS, you know, I want to hire a lot of them, but not a UPS, I want to make sure. Veterans get good, meaningful employment because you give a veteran a good, meaningful job. So help alleviate a lot of those other issues. So that's what my next year looks like. Fred, so you mentioned about the events coming up. How, like for viewers and people in the room, how can they find out about these upcoming events, these opportunities to connect with events? Call Zach Murray. But so that one about is at our website. When you go around, I'll sign up your fifth panel. Sign up, you put your email, or you go around there, and you're the direct invites to our events. And we have an events page. So, and the big thing is, all our events are free. And so, cut out. And oftentimes, people want to plug in and they're like, they're there, say, hey, I want to meet with you. I want to, you know, do this or this for the organization. And I'm like, just come. So, what I mentioned before, it was showing is, after that, share up, see how we can help you, first of all. And then kind of determine how we want to engage because seeing is believing of these summits. Gets up, makes total sense. I know we'll likely have some questions in the audience. I'm sure there's more that people want to hear about. So, Casey, if you'll do the honors. If you guys have questions, just raise your hand. I'll come around with the mic. We are streaming, so you do. We request that you do speak into the mic so people that are watching online can know what the question is. And then anything to do with that land. No question, just a comment. My name is Lorraine, and I'm not a veteran. I have two Army sisters, though. And how I got involved here is during the pandemic, I heard that there is still a need for veteran housing. And I'm a real estate investor, just got a handful of homes in the city. And I said, you know, that's something I'd like to get into. So I did, you know, just what somebody outside of the field would know how to do. So I partnered with some local nonprofits and I figured out like this rapid housing thing is not, not enough. Like we really need more care. And so I just wanted to say thank you for creating this space because people have been telling me to get down here for months. And this is my third meeting, but that we can talk about what you were saying, like the honesty of it so we could fix these problems. So, you know, someone like me, you know, really need that. Awesome. Thank you. Bring a battle buddy next time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> One example of our non-veterans critters, how they make this community so much better. Question, Jason. Here it's... All right. Everybody that has a question on this side, I need you to run from Thanks, Lord. I'm Melvin Clark. Appreciate it. You touched on it a little bit. I run you just maybe go more into it. You could do a lot of things. You could have worked on veteran mental health. You could have worked on suicide and housing and all these other things that are the areas that veterans need education support, but you're working on employment. If you could just speak to why that's so important. Well, when we started Veterana, Veteran Unemployment was way above 10%. And really, that was our original focus. And we were throwing lots of efforts in the veteran employment. And then it seems like almost overnight, veteran employment went to 0%. And so we, we really have to shift gears. And that's about the same time we came out and said, you know, Red, we're not a service organization. Me personally, why I wanted those veteran going so much at UPS was 
I was spending most of my volunteer hours away from Bethlehem and mentoring American Corporal Partners, doing mock job interviews for Higher Heroes USA, working with candidates that do the Higher Heroes Corporate Batchship. I've had a block in corporate culture at Fairback for years. And then I met probably over 500 people at Starbucks in the last probably eight or nine years. And I get so jazzed up when somebody contacts me and says, I found a job. So thank you. So you made a huge difference. I mean, that just scares me away. And then we'll see some of the, I mentioned Jordan Cat earlier. I had a Jordan Cat right out of the Coast Guard, got a master's degree, but he didn't know how to come with her. He couldn't keep us hurt up to him. So now he's running logistics. We have the biggest employer in Charleston, South Carolina. He's absolutely doing amazing work. Man, I've Adnan Zahar, if you guys know Adnan, when I hired the second Coast Guardsman I hired, I think he was making $35,000 a year working as a helicopter mechanic. I hired him for like an $18 an hour job, but saw a lot in there. I was his mentor. He had met Chris Pack and, and had signed up for American Corporate Partners. Chris had him become a veteran assignment. I met Adnan um, and became his mentor in American Corporate Partners. And the first thing I told him was, this is not a job to learn, bro. Chef, so I'm not going to hire you. I don't have any jobs to hire. Two weeks later, I hired him. Uh, and then I spent a lot of time mentoring him and developing him. And, you know, if you know Adnan, it's, Adnan doesn't drink coffee, but it always seems like he's drank like six or seven expressions. Uh, so I really tried to give him some direction on, like, he's, he works for Reem now. He worked at the Key Fair Summit last year at the History Center. That was Adnan. And, you know, he's now in a position where he got his company to spend $35,000 all the belly in the summit at the History Center. So, Ratching people that are you have a job to is just so rewarding. Well, I'm going to ask a question. So why the book Rhino? I would imagine that there was a lot of therapy for yourself in writing it, but the goal with it now, now that it's out, now that piece is done, who's the right target for it to read it? What is the impact that we should be offering it to people to share? It's funny. Uh, so my goal is just to finish it. There's only going to sell like 100 books. That's it. 100 books. I say 100 books, I'd be happy. And so they're over here. There's, yeah. she kind of freaked out. 1,000. Nobody's going to buy it. I'm not going to sell 1,000 books. And I think last night I come out 800, which is not huge in the grand scheme of things, but it's huge for me. I've had so many people come out and say, wow, this is impactful. You know, you made me think about a couple of things. You know, one of the things I offer is, Guys, buy your wife flowers. So, you know, I used to buy season flowers all the time. It's a regret I don't have. So, you know, there were small things like that. Dear Will, you've probably heard of a thousand times, but I guarantee you 90% of people in this room don't have a will. So, look at the, you know, the AF30 is important. It's, I've got great friends, but it's God's given me the strength to be where I'm at now. So, if it's helping one person and I never saw another book, that's fine. So Kevin Horgan's already chided me on, on the next book. And I'm not sure, but I, I did learn a lot of lessons. So and if anybody's interested in writing a book, that's what I said, Mike. I've got to learn some valuable lessons in the three weeks it took me to write it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, awesome. I don't think I've asked you this question before, but I'm, I'm certainly surprised. My wife in the back who is live posting to Instagram, I'm like, sure. As we speak, though, too, like, so came up today again in conversation time with an ACP person I'm working with, but the transition that service members have when they go into the private sector, usually for the first time, is that sense of mission and purpose, right? That they're trying to find that, you know, fit or they don't even realize that it doesn't exist until they make the transition and they struggle with that, right? Too. And I know a lot of folks probably that are listening in on this too is something that either hits them or abruptly or that occurs to them after a time is, hey, how do I get that sense of purpose that I had in the military when I'm transitioning into the private sector? That's big. It's what I was missing at the beginning. You know, I was carrying it. I was making my company a lot of money. And the culture wasn't that different from the Air Force. But I went from, I was a first sergeant in, in my last three years in the Air Force. So first sergeant in the Air Force, 
really different from the first half being the Army Marines. It's about morale, offer, and discipline of the workforce. And if we're doing things right, discipline will be number three. So you spend your time in morale, offer, which but me, you're very sociable. You're talking to everybody. So your glare is not to be behind the brass of the map. will be at the lawyers of the office. That's the talking to the troops. And then I came to EPS and nobody would talk to me. So I didn't know one person when I moved to Georgia. Not one. The guy who hired me lived in Britain. And that was really tough. And then anytime people work really hard at EPS in our corporate offices, it's, the culture has changed a little bit, but people wouldn't talk to you. I remember, I think I'm not even writing the book. That's another thing I don't remember when I wrote the book. But I read it, I haven't reread it. But I remember I used to walk around Harlem and have people say, and then I wouldn't say anything back. I was like, man, this place sucks. People are just so rude. And then they, um, I quickly figured out years later, I did the same thing, which is funny because I realized about 30 yards down the hallway when I did, and I ran back there spring. I think apologize to the person. Uh, you know, it's just we're busy. You're like, extremely busy. Got a lot of things going through your head. And then volunteers, and of course, you know, you can rush, you know, we're bringing volunteerism, but most of it's during the United Way season, which is really, really short. And so I was really not fulfilled. I mean, I was missing that sense of purpose. I was killing it. Luckily, I had a job. So I was director of global government defense at UPS. So I had a job working with the military, supplying beans and boats for the military to load the Rosans in Afghanistan and Iraq. And so that gave me a bit of a sense of purpose. But really, a generally five years into my journey, when I was able to start that first veterans business release with the Bueller there. So that's where when the sense of purpose kicked in. And, and I realized, hey, I can do my job. And most Fortune 500 companies will work you to death. So they're not set any limits. It's going to be up to you to set limits. So I, would, and I was there. I mean, I was somebody who was pulling out my blackberry at the time during years. You know, I would sleep with them by my bed. As we were looking at applications and important vacations in the book, I would go to bed thinking about UPS is the last time I would think about wake up was the first thought. Like, hey, that's not healthy. And then the, the VDRG stuff happened and it totally changed things. And it changed things for the better, not only for me, but for UPS. So UPS didn't need a world that was working 20 hours a day, but not their memory and physically. Well, UPS needed was a lawyer that was heavily engaged for eight to 12 hours a day. I was really shifting some of my efforts back in the family, but also in the volunteerism in Atlanta was good for me and the company. Over here to Jack Ryan. And so I'm not a vet, but I've been kind of working closely with a lot of vets in the new organization I'm with. And I've noticed they're all ambitious, driven individuals. I view myself as an ambitious, driven person. And I struggle with isolation like all the time, just like, especially with, we're a community-based organization too. So we're basically, isolation is the enemy of excellence is what we kind of stand on, but everybody just, these ambitious driven people are isolating all the time. How do you manage that with getting these vets? I can only imagine it's harder with vets, getting them to engage in this work because that's a battle I'm facing every day is trying to get other people to engage. So I think that's one of the big things. You see somebody isolating, you take them to a bad circuit. So the moment you got to make time for it, honestly. So even when I I can tell you, sometimes I'm like, man, I'm, I'm tired. Still, very tired. But I know once I show up and once I do it, it's going to be healthy for me. So you plan on those social events. You plan on those things, whether it's working out, all right, the health and wellness for your physical and for mental, you treat it like you would anything else on your schedule. You put a block into your schedule and you hold the light calendar and you do those things. You got to do it very intentionally. Yeah, I am Brent Dotson with Homes for Heroes. And I wanted to ask you if there was a veteran success story that really meant the most to you personally. Wow, there's so many. And I said there were so many there. There are hundreds. I'll give you one that just comes off the top of my mind. I was leading a medical lawyers partnership panel discussion to kick off the big event they do every year. And it was an employment panel discussion at the Hilton Hotel downtown Atlanta. I'm moderating. John Phillips, he's called me Dr. Phil because I love moderating the panels. <laughs> I'm kind of like, 
So one of the questions we ask that I ask is I engage with the audience. Those veteran African American gentlemen in the back of the room answer the question, made a statement about looking for employment, whether person in the room was working at one of the competitor hotels. That could look like I. And it turns out that guy was a homeless veteran, almost veteran, who was actually living in his car. He was employed, but he was making something like $22,000 a year. So we met each other at this event through engagement on that panel. The guy came in the next evening for an interview and got hired that next day as a nighttime rabbit who was making $65,000 a year. But, but, you know, there's so many stories like that from like the connections. Yeah, uh, so it's just fear that what goes on there. So running the new Valorina Senate, the next one will be about three minutes from today at UPS. Come out, come on out, take a look at it and get engaged. No day on it yet. Okay. Yeah, so our UPS corporate office in San Springs left one like Auburn Athens well like. Any other last minute questions? Well, I will do a couple of quick announcements, but first we had a huge round of applause for Mary and for Mary. Again, my social program with Manimal Job facilitating questions for us this evening. And of course, Lloyd, thank you so much for sharing with this community always for sharing your yeah, story. Any book that is bought today online, Amazon or any of the major book retailers or here, I will donate the profits back to the uh, A12S. Awesome. So, Vibre, share a book for a friend? Yes, I was so now you definitely want one and start on to your friend. So a couple quick announcements. If you have not been to Beckhead Club before, they do validate your parking, so make sure to get the parking pass at the front desk before you leave. Then you have some rides to do some open networking still. There's still some doors there. Of course, the bar is still open, so grab yourself a wafer or a refreshment. Like notes of multiple times, the power here is in the network. So remember to announce each other, meet each other, get to know each other. You never know where that's going to lead. Make a new friend. Make a battle buddy. So, a couple of last announcements on the screen around right there. There was a seven rest of events to get plugged into. So, we essentially, not we, Zach essentially through Batter has events to plug into every week. So, first week, of course, is the Batter Brews Buckhead. There's one in Merton two weeks from now. Next week is a Beyond the Transaction. It's about taking business beyond the transaction. I think that has a lot of real estate focus, but it's really very entrepreneurial in general. It's actually like the career. And of course, Owens Aller. Land of Views, which has a school village, whether it's hiking or uh, work at Red Harbor Survey, maybe in the back there. We've got to take So, make sure we start from them. We can manage it as an athletic community of everything here. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Matt, for being here. Last minute. Brad, I just wanted to say it, it was inspiring and a pleasure to be able to host you here and hear your story and a little bit about your book. For sure, Lord. Thanks, I appreciate it. Little boss. Thank you, Raph, for being here. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Tactical Leader Podcast. If this episode helped you along your journey of self-mastery and has inspired you to do more, I challenge you to head over to myvoicechallenge.com so you can find out how you can discover your voice, claim your independence, and build that thriving business that you've always wanted. Again, that's myvoicechallenge.com.